This is R.J. Allen, and you're listening to Rough Drafts. This is the podcast where you can get a sneak peek at early drafts of my novels before they're published. For more information, go to our website at rjallen.com. That's rjallan.com. And please subscribe to our newsletter. Let us know how we're doing. Season 1, Episode 14, The Seeker Series, Book 1, Fragments. Chapter 8, Part 1. Entering Dad's office, Lars spread a drawing on his desk. The furnishings planned for the event center. Dad set aside his pen, rolled his chair a few inches from his desk, and rubbed his eyes. What's up, bud? I started the counts on this job. This thing is huge. The first phase is supposed to deliver by the end of the year. Lars wrapped his arms around the legal pad, hugging it to himself as if for comfort, hoping the pressure would relieve the growing pain in his belly. I'm not sure we can even make this much product by then, even taking into account the canceled jobs. Even if we could, we don't have the capital to do it. That wasn't the worst of it. Once they purchased materials, they'd need time for the product to make its way through the mill. Then came the acceptance of delivery, final inspection, closeout documents, and a two- to three-month wait for payment. Dad, even if we somehow survived the production costs, the delay will be more than we can handle, and we'll be bankrupt while we wait. Dad's jaw flexed, his posture turning rigid. We've got no choice. You need to listen for once, you stubborn old coot. Look at the numbers! Lars swallowed hard when his voice rose, took slow breaths, and then braced his hands on the desk, leaning into Dad's space to force his focus. We can't finance something this big, this fast, even if the shop could perform, which it can't. Leave that to me. I have some ideas. You just get the counts done. He had to be kidding. Lars shoved away from the desk and strode back to his office, slapping the notebook onto his desk, picking it up and slapping it down again harder. The counts alone were going to take him every hour he had, even working the weekend. Then he'd still need to do material and labor breakdowns. Good thing there were only a few dozen elements in the furniture package, albeit in dizzying quantities. Hours later, Mom called him to the lunch meeting, and he was surprised at the time. He'd forced himself into a zen-like groove of concentration, ignoring his indigestion. Were those boiled eggs he'd eaten too old? When he entered the conference room, Leif and Mom and Dad were already there, as were their lawyer, insurance man, 
and County Administrator German. As they unwrapped sandwiches, the lawyer got down to business. We're meeting to review where we are with the succession issues. He took a drink of his tea and pulled out a sheaf of paperwork, passing copies around the table. Your parents have put in place a last-to-die insurance policy to help pay stewardship transfer fees. Should either or both of you wish to pursue assignment of the stewardship to yourselves at the time of their deaths. Lars frowned. Just what was going on here? Beside him, Leif sat upright, suddenly alert. What do you mean at the time of their deaths? What does that have to do with anything? We plan to transfer the stewardship when mom and dad retire, right? Mom kept her focus on her sandwich. Dad stared at the wall. Leif waved at German. What is this? German held out his hands, palms down in a calming gesture. Just a formality to protect the family interests. If you have other plans, this won't affect... Actually, Dad cleared his throat. It would be best for the mill if we hold off on transferring stewardship. The mill can't afford the fees right now, and your mom and I feel you need more time and more experience before taking responsibility. Leif's whole body jerked, his temper obviously kindled. To diffuse things, Lars put a hand on his shoulder, squeezing it to get his attention. It really doesn't matter, does it? We're all a team, no matter who holds the official stewardship, right? Leif snorted. Let me tell you a story. Last month, I was at the Hollander plant for meetings about the new lacquer formulation. As old as Old Man Hollander is, he's not THE Old Man Hollander. During one conference, an old guy burst in and began berating him about how the sidewalks hadn't been properly shoveled. Leif narrowed his eyes. Both hands flattened on the desk as he turned towards Dad. Can you imagine that? While Dad shifted in his chair and Mom touched Dad's arm, Lars picked cucumber slices from his tomato and chickpea sandwich. Where's the meat? And Mom knew he hated cucumber. They curdled his stomach. He suppressed a snort. Who is he kidding? He knew what was making his gut clench. I mean, Leif continued, he just let him have it right there in front of everyone. Old man Hollander sat and took it, never uttered a word, just hung his head and nodded. Later on, I asked the chief engineer about it. Hollander's dad does that kind of thing all the time. And Hollander can't do a thing about it 
because the old guy, not Hollander, holds the stewardship. Lars sank back in his chair. Mom shrunk into herself, her slim shoulders folding over her chest. Dad had turned deeper and deeper shades of red, eyes stony. Leif pushed to his feet, hands still pressed on the desk as his shadow loomed over it. Engineer Bill says Hollander may even lose the stewardship when his dad passes because he's grown the company to be so big and so profitable that the succession fees will be ruinous. So I ask you, why would I work until I'm old enough to retire and never see the stewardship? Never have any authority. Mom addressed the visitors after Leif marched out. I'm sorry, this was very embarrassing. German drummed his fingers on the table. We blindsided the poor boy. Give him time. He'll see that this is the only option. German and the lawyer packed their briefcases and left. Mom put her hand on Dad's arm. His jaw was locked and veins pulsed in his temples. Give him time to adjust, honey. Time? Dad jerked away from her. That boy has gotten too big for his britches. Someone needs to cut him down to size. Lars shrugged at Mom and retired to his own office to scale the mountain of work awaiting him. But the undercurrent of tension in the office, feeling like a building lightning storm, made the burning tightness at the pit of his stomach only grow. No, it wasn't the cucumbers, and it wasn't the eggs. The office staff felt it too. They moved about the office, heads down, unusually intent on their paperwork, not stopping to converse at the coffee dispenser. He munched another bismuth tablet. Professor Rule climbed the ladder, and as his head cleared the hatch, Philip was sitting in a straight chair near the closet. Rule jerked back, nearly slipping from the top rung, when the bed came into view. On it lay a man wearing the robes of the order. Rule slowed his breathing, hand to heart. What in the eternal? Philip stood and walked to the bedside, looking down on the sleeping man. His men follow you. I find picking lock to room. Curtis, apparently having heard the commotion, popped his head out of the closet. Everything okay? Seeing the robed man, he tensed. Rule limped to the bed, feeling the man's jaw for a pulse. You did not kill him. Philip said, No. He sleep forget me sleep. He lifted the man's hand, in which nestled a micro-injector, and then pointed to the small red dot on the man's neck. 
reminiscent. Curtis picked up the man's sleeve and studied the injector. Amnesia-inducing drug? Philip nodded. Curtis screwed up his face. If he had the injector, why is he the one asleep? When he tried to inject me, missed. Inject self. Curtis's brows shot up. How'd he manage that? Philip shrugged. I helped a little bit. Rule peeled back one of the man's eyelids. How long will he be out, and what will he remember? Sleep six, maybe eight hour. Not remember me. Not remember room, maybe. Does remember what's follow you. Curtis puffed his lips and blew out the air. So now what? They'll come arrest the professor? Rule crossed his arms and put a thumb to his chin. Will they? He thought it through, trying to see it from the perspective of the enemy. No, at least not yet. They'll hope I'll lead them to a bigger prize. Curtis pointed at his own chest. Me? Yes, you, or more importantly, to the group sending all those letters to Knob, meaning me. Curtis looked around the room jerkily, like a trapped animal. We need to find a place to go, fast. Rule put a hand on Curtis's shoulder and steered him towards the hatch. Need to calm the boy down before he does something rash. Again. Don't you worry, my boy. You are quite safe. They do not know you are here, else they would have broken in instead of sneaking about. What we need is a very convincing and very final end to their interest in me. I remember a trick old Butterman and I used back in the old days. I believe it will work nicely here. Curtis put one foot on top of the ladder. Tentative. Did it work, the trick, back in the old days? Rule. Mind spinning web upon complicated web had to tear himself away. What had Curtis just said? Hmm, did it work? Oh, well, no, but never you mind that. It will have much improved with age. I hope. A quiet voice deep inside whispered, Why would it? Nothing else has. <laughs>